Hello, hello, and welcome to another episode of For the Love of Sports. My name is Michael Rosillo, and my guest today is Sebastian Marentes. He's the Director of Business Development at The Post Game. He's another one of the Post Game gentlemen that I've got on the show. I've had a few. We've had Justin Moser. We've had Ryan Delaney, so it's absolutely been fantastic. Sebastian obviously tells us a little bit about what he's doing at The Post Game, but he also talks about his short period of time at Intersport, as well as the eight years he spent at the PGA and all the incredible things he got to do there as their marketing marketing development head of latin america this dude was killing it from the age of like 22 on so it's been a lot of fun it was absolute blast getting to talk with sebastian and i hope you enjoy the show All right. Today, I'm for the love of sports. I have Sebastian Marentes. He is the director of business development at the post game, formerly an account director at Intersport, spent almost eight years at the PGA Tour. And that's something we're going to have to discuss the difference between PGA Tour, PGA of America, all that, because it still never makes sense to me. But Sebastian, appreciate you hanging out with me today, man. Michael, thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here. Yeah, I mean, we've been talking like for 20 minutes about getting married, so we'll see what happens. Uh, of <laughs> course, to our significant others, but we'll we'll see what happens, man. We'll see what happens. Uh, so the first, right. question, first question I have for you, Sebastian, and for everybody that I have on the For the Love of Sports podcast is, why do you love sports so much? That's a great question. I So I was one of those people that is fortunate beyond my deser- what I deserve. I never wanted necessarily to go into sports. So I was recruited into an internship at the PGA Tour. I was very fortunate. I always joke around that the, the recruiter must have, you know, had a little bit too much to drink when he met me. But um, they were launching what was called a diversity internship program, which was near and dear to the heart of Tim Fincham, uh, commissioner at the time. And uh, and we came. I came in and the, they had kind of repurposed it. And that was like the freshman class of interns um, back in 2011. So um, I thought I was going to work in finance. I had, I had like a couple of job, like mm-hmm. I had a, a couple of job interviews with KPMG and uh, Deutsche Bank. Those were the two big ones in Florida that I, I was mm-hmm. thinking I was going to, and that's what I thought I was going to do. It just made sense. I was an econ major and international business major. And then sports came along. Uh, and it, you know how it is. I put my head down, I put my head back up and it's been a decade. And people are like, oh, a sports professional. I, I guess that's the case. Yes. <laughs> so, I love uh, it, man. I, I've learned to love it quite a bit. So you never, it was never really on the radar. It wasn't something that you were, I mean, as you said, you were planning on getting into finance, but I mean, what 12 year old kid or what 10 year old kid didn't grow up wanting to be a baseball player, football player, golfer, anything like that? Yeah, no, I, I was, I'm a boring, like I'm a boring person. I was the kid who would ask my mom for a doctor's like garb for my birthday because uh, you know, yes, you asked for scrubs. You for asked like, for scrubs. For I asked birthday? for scrubs and like a little. What do you call that? Though? Like a stethoscope. A stethoscope. Adorable. Love it. Uh, so, uh, yeah. So that was me. I was, I was, I was a nerdy kid, uh, kind of a geek. And um, uh, no. So sports were like I, I thought they were, they were fun. I have a huge love for entertainment. Um, once I got into sports, I realized and I understood. That it's no different than any other storytelling um, storytelling uh, mm-hmm. platform. 
It's really about folks understanding the beginning, climax, and end of a story. And whether mm. that's season long or in a single event, every, every platform in sports is looking to do the same thing. It's to captivate an audience, to teach them how to digest what their storyline is, and to allow them to take that and make it their own. Unfortunately, mm -hmm. sports is so powerful that they can do that year after year after year, and it becomes part of the zeitgeist. Uh, and the fact that you watched a certain sport with your dad, and he watched it with his dad, and he watched it with his dad, mm -hmm. creates this cultural impact that's absolutely amazing. Um, so once you kind of understand, like, and, and to a certain degree, I think I, I was very fortunate that I was never, I was never like sports for sports sake in that it allowed mm -hmm. me to kind of see it from like an outsider's perspective, at least at the beginning, uh, and understand, oh, wow, we can really take this into its parts and we can really see the power that publishers have. We can really see the power that properties have and the power that fans have. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and I think that the dynamic of those three of kind of those three things interacting with each other is kind of what creates the space of sport um and so anyway i got i got off on a, on a tangent there no i love yeah. it i love it and i because i completely agree with you i mean just the the emotional impact as you said of you know watching a sport with your dad and he watched it with his dad and he watched it with his dad i mean that's that is where you know these traditions these lineages come from i'm a mets fan because my mom's a mets fan because right. her mom was a Mets fan. Like that's the only reason why there's literally zero. I would never ever tell anybody to ever be a Mets fan in the history of forever, but I will forever always be one because it's, Oh, it's, I mean, burned and, and, you know, kind of ingrained into my DNA and who I am. And there's very few things that are like that, right? There are very few things that do go from, you know, religion is obviously one of them. Um, yeah. and you know, that, that is probably the other one that really does get passed down as you see all the time. I mean, politics, religion, and sports are the three most, in, in my opinion, three most emotional things, yeah. the three things that get people, um, their, their senses get heightened for, for, for lack of a better term. And religion and sports are the two that get passed down politics. You always see kids don't agree with their parents just out of right for sake of not agreeing with their parents, but in sports, you're completely correct. It becomes a part of who you are and who your family is more importantly. Right. And I think that the, the key, the key thing there is that it's the kids that connecting tissue, mm -hmm. which by definition is culture. Yeah. So sport is culture. And once you kind of understand that and you understand both the responsibility as a sports professional to build culture mm -hmm. uh, and and also and I think that the, the word there build is important because it's not just a lot of sports professionals think that they're reacting to something that exists. Few and I think the really good ones understand that they create something mm -hmm. that's meaningful and important. And I think a good example of that is if you go to Mexico right now. Uh, and that's, it's, it's kind of changed, but if you go to Mexico right now, most people are cowboy fans and Steelers fans. Most people like diehard Steelers fans. You, mm -hmm. I, I remember I went into a second TV's, uh, studio and there was a huge Steelers cutout in Mexico city. Um, and you ask why it's because about 60 years ago, those were the only two teams that were willing to, to sell their rights for TV rights in Mexico. Mm -hmm. Uh, so the fact that somebody in these huge broadcasters was willing to put on football games created created something that became part of the fabric of Mexican culture. Uh, and how much power is that? That by, dis by, by some person who is legitimately just thinking about programming and selling mm -hmm. ads, taking a chance on putting football on, they've created something that now means something and that can be sold against, et cetera. So it's, it's really, really interesting. Yeah, to the point where now the NFL travels. I think this year I got the or today I got the notification they're not doing any international games yeah. coming up, which makes sense. But I mean, they consistently have been going to uh, Mexico City 
to play there to show just again to showcase the game and the players and the teams and i you know i never realized that the steelers and cowboys were such big fans there i would have assumed it was because of the two dynasties the steelers in the 70s the cowboys in the 90s but that completely makes sense if there's only two teams on consistently you're probably going to start rooting for those teams and as you said you know kind of actually build something and create something so coming from outside of the sports realm i mean obviously it sounds like you played sports but it wasn't you know it's not like you sat down like me every night at seven o'clock and watched every inning of every game coming from outside of that realm how did you start to understand the opportunities to build that culture and how did you start to understand what was in front of you rather than okay cool i have a job it's okay i can i can connect with people on some of the deepest emotional levels that they love the most I think I was I was fortunate by the kind of the mix of events that happened in my life that allowed me allowed me to interact with the different facets of sport in a more meaningful way than a lot of people get to, uh, and that is that I, I started the PGA tour in this internship program, kind of looking at the viability of. I was working in a department that was called strategy. It was mm-hmm. kind of a a tent department that was built for a, for a while. Um, and uh, we we're looking at the viability of taking the PGA Tour product into Latin America. Actually, looking a lot about uh, what the NBA had done uh, already in the internet and growing their international space, and also the NFL, um, the NBA being at the forefront as they tend to be mm-hmm. uh, with all new things. Uh, and so, uh, I was an intern. I don't know how much value I had in that whole thing, but I I, I worked on that. Left, went to the Players Championship. Um, was the executive assistant to the director of the player championship and the head of revenue learned wow. two things one yeah. one i had humongous visibility into how the business of sports worked in the biggest event that exists in, in golf which is the player championship um and two i learned that i'm a terrible administrative assistant and uh, i think uh, my boss at the time matt rap who i have incredible respect for uh, actually as i left the pga tour a couple years ago said um I told him, hey, I learned what it was like to be really bad at something. And he just laughed. It was like, you were really bad. So <laughs> so now I know 100% I was really bad at being All right. Good like to know. And from there, we went to work for PGA Tour Latina America, uh, where I was a member of a three-man team. There was a president, a director, and then there was me. And uh, me and the director specifically, his name is Nelson Silveri, another person I have mad respect for. Uh, still to this day, he will be in my wedding, one of my greatest, greatest mentors and great friend. Um, he, uh, we had the opportunity to really build from scratch a tour in Latin America. Uh, and that meant creating the processes that were necessary to create um, uh, brand guidelines. It, it meant creating the operational guidelines so that our events were you know, up to, uh, up to standards. It meant working with finance uh, to figure out how we were gonna pay these guys, getting taxes out, all that type of thing. Uh, working with legal on how these contracts need to be written, how they needed to be scaled down. Mm-hmm. Uh, working with our media team to create media plans, uh, our PR team, et cetera, et cetera. And really the whole, the whole thing of it was how do we take this monster, you know, which is the PGA Tour, and that now I think is close to 80 years old, wow. that has really proven to work in the United States and extrapolate it to something that's much smaller and can work in a nascent market like Latin America. So you have to go into a market now where nobody knows who you are. And that really puts, puts a challenge to it because one, it has to be much smaller, much easier to understand, and has to really, really be at the core of what what means what. Mm-hmm. So the reason that that was so important was because it allowed me to interact with every column of the PGA Tour, and you have to intimately understand the complexities of the big column, and if you're going to make it in a small scale. Um, and so when we got into it, uh, you know, it was 
three of us, really me and Nelson, just kind of like going at it. I remember when we created our first TV show, uh, we were kind of giving the mandate of like, hey, we're going to have this amount of money and you guys go out there and create a TV show. And we we closed the door. I remember I, I remember like it was yesterday. But we closed the door. It was a Friday afternoon. Uh, Nelson put on his on his whiteboard TV show. Uh, and he said, what do you know about TV? And he's like, I've watched one. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> it. yeah. And, uh, and so, and we like, all right, go home for the weekend, jot down what you think this used to be, come back Monday. And on Monday we drafted up what was the proposal and ended up being a TV show that's still running today called SRS PJ towards America. It was the first, the second TV show that I launched was about five years after that. Um, so uh, just to, just to pause for a second, you went from an intern to now essentially helping run you and two other people run an entire new venture of the PGA tour. in, as you said, a nascent market that doesn't really know what's going on. And they allowed you then to start creating TV shows for this. I mean, so you essentially did absolutely everything at that point. It was, it was kind of mind boggling. Um, and is I, it mind boggling to look back on? Cause it, it's, it's, it's really interesting when you're telling me this right now. It, it's, it's, it's mind boggling absolutely to look back on. And you had, you had a wrinkle that Nelson, three years in, I think three years in left. So for two years, I was left as the acting director. So it was just basically me and the president. And at this point, I really got to sink my teeth into it because mm -hmm. I was able to build the staff around, um, again, and I have I could go on for days about building a staff and the connection you can have mm -hmm. with somebody that chooses yeah. to trust you enough to work underneath you. Um, but, uh, but, um, but yeah, so, I, I can't like looking back and I was actually talking to one of my great friends and mentors at the PGA tour last week. And I was like, it's just hard to imagine, you know, the amount of trust that these folks had to have in me mm -hmm. at, you know, I think I was, when I came into this, uh, you know, this acting director role, I must've been 25 or 26 young, young guy, really, really eager. Um, and really my, my whole thing was that because I had had the exposure to and work with Nelson and, and then it was just like, let's listen let's listen a lot more than we talk. And then let's listen for opportunities that come up. And uh, so when we were kind of looking at, um, okay, how do we sell this thing, right? We, we need to monetize PJ Tour Team America somehow. Mm -hmm. It's nice that we're having an event. We, we have a tour that, you know, builds up players that move on to, you know, at the time web.com tour, now it's Corner Ferry Tour, and then move on to the PJ Tour. Um, but we need to find a way to monetize this. And what I was having a hard time with is nobody, nobody, nobody was unwilling to take a meeting with me. Any CEO I wanted to talk to, I'd gotten in because I was working with all the most powerful folks in mm -hmm. every of the respective countries. However, when we got in there, they didn't know what we were. And so um, one day I was in Bogota and uh, my flight got delayed and I was like, well, I don't know what I need to do. I have two, I have an extra day here. What should I do? Um, and somebody was like, well, we should look at broadcast rights. And so I took a meeting that, uh, with one of the heads of production for RSN never actually or actually i think it was Winsport. anyway it was one of the broadcasters in columbia mm -hmm. uh and took a meeting with them and um just kind of talked through like uh hey well we have this and didn't know what i was really talking about and then i went to our to our head of broad international broadcast at the pgh i was like well what can i sell and then every meeting that i would have after that i would learn a little more of the lingo and so i would kind of bs my way into like mm -hmm. you know looking like a media professional yep uh, and really in my mind, it became really clear, like people want to talk to us. We might as well try and sell them stuff. And before we knew it, we had sold broadcast rights of some sort or, or another to every major broadcaster in Latin America. Um, and my thought process there was back to the culture thing. 
I was, my first initial goal was I want to see a golf club, one golf club. And that's it. As I, as I go through, if when I'm in market, I go through the 160 mm -hmm. channels, just one golf club. Uh, we quickly got there and that was exciting. My second goal was, okay, I want to get to a point and I hope, and I don't know that we're, that we're even there yet, but I want to get to a point where I can go to a graphic designer anywhere in Latin America. And I say, I want to have a birthday party for my kid and I want it to be sports themed. And I want him to organically build a golf club into the, into design. Mm -hmm. um, and for that, we needed to really create, uh, we needed to be part of the culture. And the idea there was let's get golf into the ethos of the Latin American sports, sports, sports landscape. Um, and part of that was, you know, taking our broadcast rights, 16 hours of broadcast every weekend, condensing it into one hour. And giving it to to golf fans in Latin America in a way they could they could understand. Taking PJ Tour to America content, we have two TV shows, putting those in there, giving having flexibility with broadcasters, allowing them to create content, which maybe is flexibility that we would be as comfortable doing in the United States, yeah. but maybe in Latin America we'd be willing to do. Um, and all this within the back of my mind is now I have something to sell against. Mm -hmm. Now when I go into an office at a CEO, I can say, um, "Hey, come to the PJ Tour. Oh, that's cool." And now. When he goes and sits in a steam room with his other CEOs, he's like, you won't believe who came to visit me. Mm -hmm. And that's what you're selling against. I love so. it, dude. That is awesome. And I mean, all of this at like 25, you said 27. You know, like yeah, you, yeah. 20, it's, it, like yeah. to get there, I just think is incredible. Again, to have, you know, get gain so much trust, earn so much trust from the people around you to allow you to do this type of thing. But what, you know, to, to gain and earn someone's trust, it takes time. It takes energy and effort on your part. What were you doing to show them? I know you said you worked in all these different capacities and you learned a lot about the business, but you as a person, what was your mindset going into these meetings, especially in the beginning before they gave you such, you know, let's call it power, I guess, um, or responsibility with great power comes great responsibility in case yeah. anyone was curious. But like, <laughs> what were you doing to really allow them to say, yes, Sebastian's the person that we want to be a part of this team and then potentially run it one day? I think that there's a... Uh... There's, there's two things. Uh, first, uh, somebody, I think my, my dad uh, told me responsibility is 20% given, 80% taken. Um, there was things that needed to be done. Yeah, and I, I did them. That was it. You do it one time, the next time it's really easy to think you can do it. Mm -hmm. You know, the, the first time I sat in a presser and represented the PGA Tour, you know, 25-year-old kid, represented the PGA Tour in a presser, first time, pretty scary. Second time, oh, who can do it? Well, there's the one guy that's already done it. Mm -hmm. uh, and before you know it, I'm I'm standing in the pressers basically every 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 event that we have. Um, and so, so yeah, I, I think I think it's a combination of those two things. And then I, I think my my boss uh, Nelson always said something that was really really interesting. Uh, he's he said, stop thinking about where you want to go, and start thinking of what you want what you want to do right now. Uh, so put your head down and work. Uh, and a lot of, uh, and you know, at the end, you know, this kind of, this whole transformation leads me to be kind of a salesperson, which I am now still in a, in, to a certain degree. Um, but you know, when I, when I talk, talk to people about sales, it's always about just put your head down, do it. You'll be surprised at the magic that happens around you. Mm -hmm. You know, if you talk to enough people, if you have enough conversation, if you listen and you kind of just follow kind of the process, you know, talk to somebody, listen to them, give them, give them feedback, understand what it is that you have to offer, understand how that fits into what they, what they need. Um, 
when you go through that process, all of a sudden you're closing business. There's no magic to it, but it all feels so magical, mm-hmm. which it makes looks, it, it looks magical from the outside too. Right. Right. And so yeah, people watching, I, yeah, no, keep going, yeah. keep going. Oh no, that's what I was saying. You look at that's why salespeople get, get called rainmakers. It's the whole idea of like, oh, you do this dance and for some reason it works. And by the way, it, it seems obnoxious to a certain degree. And it's really just about sitting there being a okay with getting a nose and knowing that you just have to keep trucking. I love it, man. I mean, again, just, just the amount of time and energy that you put in at the PGA tour, I just think is so impressive. I mean, the fact that you were able to over eight years go from, you know, an intern, as you said, maybe that guy was just, you know, one too many deep at that point, you know, you got that job. So however it happens, it happens. And it leads you all the way to, you know, again, running an entire multi-country network of, you know, the, this sport that you're able to build out. And and I guess, you know, with that, like how, how did you handle that much responsibility? Again, 25-year-old kid or, or whatever, as you said, you know, in these pressers representing, you are the face of the PGA Tour to a lot of the people, the brands, mm-hmm. the companies, the, the, the people that are watching, like, did did that ever kind of cross your mind like wow like it's it's me or did it was it kind of just something like water off a duck's back like whatever just as you said keep your head down and go i think that something i've that feeling of oh it's me right um especially that feeling of uh you know you get enough enough miles you're flying out every monday every other monday uh, you're flying first class, going to five-star resorts, putting get cameras being put in front of you. It's really easy to start believing it's you. Mm-hmm. It's really easy to start thinking, getting your chest pretty big. And that feeling feels pretty freaking intoxicating. It's awesome. But I've learned that every time I have that feeling, it's followed up by a blunder. Ah. Whether it, whether that, whether that blunder, you know, in the best, best of scenarios, uh, is that, you know, I'm ineffective at my job. In the worst of scenarios, it creates irre- you know, irreversible damage with relationships and friends. Uh, how I treat that staff that I just said that I love so much. Um, so I think that you know, as I matured more, I think I, it's one of the things that I focus on a lot, um, which is it's 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 you know, you're not irreplaceable. It's not you. Take advantage of the opportunities you have in front of you. Not necessarily you de- you're deserving of them, but because you're there, you should do the best you can to make them as, as good as possible. Um, and then there was just so much work like those years. And I, I kind of joke about it, but those year, years when we were doing PJ Tour here in America, it was about five years straight that I don't know if you watched the movie click with Adam Sandler, mm-hmm. you know how, like it's got this depressing kind of middle yeah. section where he's yeah. kind of fast forwarding to get to the next point, point, And then he wakes up and his life's over to a certain degree. Those five years felt like I put my head down and I looked up and five years had gone by. It was so much, so much work, uh, and uh, yeah. So, uh, so yeah, it, it doesn't give you a lot of time to think about much, rather mm-hmm. than just kind of what's the next thing, what's the next thing, what's the next problem that comes up. It's it's the most fun I think uh, I've had until my current job, which I'm having a heck of a lot of fun in. But um, uh, the uh, yeah, it's 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 just there's problem after problem. You're dealing with different things every day. Yeah, Did I ask you a question? I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah, no. Again, man, just tell me all the stories you got. That's why we're here. We're here to listen <laughs> to you. Um, I also want to just say nice save there. That was very, very impressive on your end. Nice save. Um, but definitely. What, what save was that? 
No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Saying now oh. your favorite job is is the current job you have. You know that oh. that whole thing. It's like oh, I always wanted to be on this team. Don't worry, guys. No, I'm kidding. I've talked to multiple people from the post game, and they all love it. So um, I'm only busting some chops. But definitely, I mean, you know, as you said, that intoxicating feeling of of kind of having that camera on you, especially in your mid twenties, is probably the worst time or or the best time, depending on how you yeah. want to look at it, to have that. And so, as you said, I mean, just five straight years, kind of, you know, you blink and it's gone where i mean what was it like now being able to look back on all those experiences the entire network that you were able to build the the people the 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 lessons learned how easily are you able to now in your current position which we'll get to in a minute how easily are you able to just kind of dip your hand into that tool bag and just pull out whatever you had considering what you needed to do over the last year or five years i think that uh well, two things that one, there is no such thing as relation, uh, you know, as business relationships, it's just relationships. I mean, even as I was trying at the post game, which I've been at for a little bit, like I think about six months. Uh, mm-hmm. And uh, I had a conversation with every person on staff. Uh, and the, what I would always start with is every relationship I have starts off with friendship. That is, that is the core of everything. I want to be a good friend, you know, and there's, there's some schools of thought that don't think that that's the case for business. I never found anything that else that worked. Mm-hmm. Every person that I worked with that was one of my connectors in market that connected me to brands or one of the, the promoters, anything. I wanted, first and foremost, to be a friend. And what that meant is that my word was gold, that I was willing to listen to what you needed, and I was willing to be transparent with you about where we were. And that was the most important thing. Um, I think that that actually, you know, when you look back at like, hey, some of the success that, that we were able to have as PGHOLT America, a lot of it's tied to that. The mm-hmm. fact that we were being real with people, that we weren't trying to play the game necessarily. Um, so to that end, a lot of these folks that I've worked with, uh, it's easy to call a friend. How you Mm -hmm. doing? You know, you know, their kids' names, you know, you know, most it's easy to do that. Now on the flip side of that, at the end of the day, we're all busy. We only have 24 hours of real estate and it's filled up to the brim. Uh, and so I see every phone call as uh, a little bit of like a, um, uh, like a brake pad on a car. Every call you make is wearing aware at that brake pad. And you can you can build that by, you know, reaching out for things that aren't necessarily work related or whatever. But you have to be cognizant of that. And so I think once you get a little bit further into your into your um into your career and you realize that you have like this toolbox, like you said, of people and friends and connections that can kind of move things wrong, you have to be really, really careful about how how often you're calling on them and why you're calling on them. Mm-hmm. And understand that you should not reach out just for reaching out sake uh, to uh, unless, you know, unless it's just your friend. Right. But yeah. Um, but at the end of the day, any sale worth anything is bringing value to both ends. Mm-hmm. So anything worth anything should never really wear at that tire. Cause you're saying, look, I had this question. I had this opportunity. I think this helps you. And if it doesn't help them, you shouldn't be selling it to them. Now, granted to know if it's going to help them, you have to ask them. Mm-hmm. But it should, there should be something there, right? So it's not just like, oh, I want to look good in front of my boss and call six people that, you know, just to say I can call them and then they'll never answer my phone calls again. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. And, and you know, and, and through building those friendships, sometimes you do immediately think of someone, right? Maybe there is something you're just like, oh my God, I have to call 
Mike right now because he's gonna love right. this. And, and maybe I do, maybe I don't, but at least you thought of me. And I always think that that's part's very important. And it's a really great analogy. I've never heard of it like that. You know, it's a brake pad. You you only get so many shots, I guess, before you wear away at it. And as you said, you can build those up. You can do a lot of different things with it. So I think it's very interesting. So I'm glad I got to ask that question because now I got a new analogy. I can start breaking out places. But <laughs> so you're, you're at the you're at PGA Tour for over or right around eight years, a little under eight years. Um, you then fall in love and you need to move to Chicago. So with this in place, I mean, you're, it seems like you're rising the ranks very quickly at the PGA PGA tour. I'm sure there's a lot of opportunity that's ahead of you other than falling in love, which I'm sure obviously is the number one, most important reason. Shout out to your fiance, but yeah. what, like, how, how did you kind of come to the, the, the conclusion that like, okay, maybe I'm, I'm here. This was fun. This was great. I can take a lot of what I learned, but now I want to go somewhere else and try something else new. I think that there's, there's uh, like with everything, there's a convolution of, of events that kind of took place. Um, uh, I think I was, I had been at the PGA tour, I think a little bit, was it about eight years? Um, to what LinkedIn says at least. So, right. I'm rolling so, with. <laughs> so uh, about eight years with the PGA tour and I started there as an intern. Uh, I think that there's something to be said about when you start somewhere as an intern, it's hard to get out of that completely. You're always that kid. Uh, mm -hmm. and, and so there was, there was a part there and also the project I was working on, I had been working on my whole career and there was a lot of my DNA implanted into that project. I think for the pro for the project's sake, it was good that I left. Honestly, I mm -hmm. think, uh, my ego would like to say that it wasn't good that I left, but I, w I hope it is. And I have a lot of love for it. And I have a lot of respect for the people that are currently working on that project. Uh, the, um, uh, so I, I found that I wanted, uh, it had been eight years. I wanted to grow. Um, I lived in Jacksonville for 12 years at that point because I'd gone to the University of North Florida before. Um, and it was just time. It was just time to leave Jacksonville. I wanted to go to a big city. I fell in love with Chicago the first time I came. And I, I would always say I love Chicago, but I can't live without, you know, my girlfriend at the time, Shana, and now my fiance. And so, uh, so it was... I always say the, the the best thing that ever happened to me was working for the PGA Tour, only to be quickly followed by the by leaving the PGA Tour mm -hmm. as being one of my best things that happened in my career. Uh, I got to grow a ton. Uh, I came here. I worked for Intersport, which was kind of which is a um, a sports agency. You know, kind of the very definition of a sports agency, and uh, that they support brands that want to use sport to grow mm -hmm. their uh, to, to to you know kind of to to um, broadcast their message through mm -hmm. the vehicle sport, which we you know is very effective. Um, and, uh, and it was great trying to see on other side of the business, seeing how other people run. Uh, you get very accustomed to, you know, being the tour and being like a big entity mm -hmm. uh, and kind of coming out of it and seeing all this other sports that exist in the world and kind of where golf fits into that ecosystem uh, and seeing a bunch of different sports professionals as I see the world a completely different way from a completely different vantage point, mm -hmm. by the way, like the vantage point of an agency is absolutely different than the vantage point of a property. Um, uh, and uh, when they worked under Ashley Brantman, who's a vice president uh, and group account director in Intersport, amazing, amazing leader, uh, learned a ton, um, was there for, I believe eight or nine months. And then the, the agency kind of ran to some, um, Ran, ran into a bit of a hard time. I had come mm -hmm. into the agency kind of with the idea of 
we're going to kind of build you up in an account director position. We're going to use your kind of sports, your, your already skills and, you know, uh, but really thinking about creating a vertical for Intersport International. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, okay. Yeah. So, so, so I had been like kind of working on that and creating different models, specifically starting off with Latin America, which is the area that I know and you quite well and kind of what that looked like as we expanded our services and our service area to cover, kind of cover all, all of, all of the world and its mm-hmm. different facets really kind of understanding what the nuance is that comes into working internationally. Um, so nine months comes up, Intersport has kind of a rocky time in their finances and they, they have to decide to let go 20% of their staff. Obviously, last in, mm. first out. Uh, and I guess I, I had a great conversation going out. I, the, 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 the people that told me were now friends. And again, friendship has been the core thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I sat there and they were like, look, we're gonna have to eliminate your position. Uh, I remember saying, well, first of all, wow. Second, how are you guys? Because you're having to tell this to a whole lot of people. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that that, that kind of nice exit was a, was a huge thing for me in that the, I was new to this city. Those folks really took care of me. The, the inner sport folks, you know, it, it wasn't, they didn't, we didn't part ways because I wasn't working out. We didn't part ways because, um, of anything personal or, or even business. It was just literally, they're just, Hey, money's short. We don't, we don't have money to pay for your salary at the moment, or, mm-hmm. you know, we have to prioritize how to do it. It makes sense. Um, so then I went into three months about of not having a job. Um, well, before, before we get to there, I do want, I do yeah. have a couple of questions about Intersport again, you know, having yeah. it, it's, it seems like, I mean, it's, it's relatively well-known I'm out here on the East coast. I, I can't tell you all the assets or the, the facets of the business, but I've absolutely heard of Intersport before. I think many people yeah. in the sports business world specifically have, have probably heard something about it. And so with that, like, as you said, you know, potentially developing an entire new vertical on the international side, you know, especially with starting through Latin America, what was it like to, again, go from this giant entity, this huge, huge property in the PGA tour, and then kind of go down to creating like almost like a startup within the PGA tour. And now you're kind of on the other side of the table where you're now working with the brands rather than the properties. How easy of a, how easy was it for you to kind of go from one to the other, especially, I mean, only being there nine months, but how, how quickly were you able to pick up, and understanding, considering, as you said before, all you had to do was listen to these brands and these media people and understand what they were looking for so you could speak their lingo. Like, how quickly were you able to do that just uh, now on the other side of the table? I, I think it was harder than I thought it was going to be, actually. Uh, the, the the vantage point thing is very important. Mm-hmm. So because you're standing on another, and because you're standing on another vantage point, what you say means something different than it did before. So mm-hmm. when you're representing a property, you can see the exact same words. And when you're representing an agency, it means something completely different. Uh, so the way you interact with clients, it's much more, it's much, much, much more nuanced than what I was used to. It used to be when I called the client, their agency was on the phone too. Mm-hmm. They were kind of on the same page. And I was calling to bring up solutions. You got, you have a problem. Let me go back. Let me see what the solutions we can bring to the table here from a property side. So uh, whatever it be, like, hey, you, you feel like you need a little more exposure from this end on the experiential end. So we'll kind of create something and we'll look like on the agency side, it's more helping the brand understand how, how to um, negotiate and communicate that effectively to the property. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's just completely different because you don't, you don't really have a solution to give. 
you you're just kind of offering kind of ways to communicate and that's a very different different vantage point. absolutely uh understanding what you know and kind of understanding that and understanding um even just kind of simple things you, you kind of get used to understanding what wins mean mm-hmm. you know it's kind of understanding from an agency side a win is different than uh and the property side uh understanding who to talk to when to talk to them all that type of stuff so so it wasn't it wasn't extremely easy uh but it was very educational and the folks at Intersport were very open. They have a huge entrepreneurship um, model where they, uh, the owner um, Charlie Besser's whole thing is like, let's push as hard as we can. You can tell they have a they 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 own certain events, so they have mm-hmm. their own IP. Um, and then they also wor- work for uh, on the that's kind of they call it the assets and the services side. They kind of help uh, brands. Um, yeah, so they really are pushing you to try and, you know, push, push the envelope, see what can come out of it. So, uh, so it was cool. It was, it was a really cool learning experience. Really, yeah. really good. And then considering where you came from and what you did prior, I can completely understand why they wanted someone like you in the business. Um, just again, creating essentially an entire entity that now is thriving is the kind of person you probably want in, in, uh, in your type of business. So kudos to them for seeing that very unfortunate, as you said, for, uh, you know, the, the, you know, them running into financial trouble, as you said, first in, last in, first out. That's just kind of how yeah. the way it's going to go there. Um, so you said then there was a couple months that you were going and looking for new opportunities. Uh, what were you doing in that time? Were you just applying everywhere? Were you trying to be a little bit more strategic and specific? Or were people starting to come to you realizing that, again, this incredible talent has now is a free agent, for lack of a better term? What was that like, Sebastian? Well, You're a free agent. I, I, I actually use that, that that verbiage when I reached out to my now boss, but um, the I, I, I wish that was the case. <laughs> and thank you, thank you for the flattery. But that, it it was it definitely didn't feel like it in the moment. Um, it was uh, day after day. My whole thing was waking up in the morning and reminding myself that I was valuable. And one of the thing, the biggest learnings that I had from that time was that there is value to me for me. Uh, and it is such a freeing moment when you realize, Hey, Sebastian's valuable for being Sebastian, not because his boss told him he was valuable, mm-hmm. not because his, his business card has a logo that a lot of people recognize, but because there's something that I bring to the table that no one else can. Uh, and that is something that I think, uh, and, you know, right now with COVID and the amount of layoffs, you know, I, I, I really try to tell people that are going through that because going through it just made me so much stronger. Just understanding that very simple thing of you are valuable because you're you. Mm-hmm. No entity has to tell you that. Um, and then again, if you go back to fundamentals and understand what the pillars are and stop living in the cloud of like, oh man, winning means working for a big brand or winning means, and just understand, okay, so what do I do? And how do I affect the bottom line of, of an organization? And what does that organization's bottom line mean? Sometimes the bottom line has nothing to do with money. Sometimes it has to do with, you know, if you work for the, uh, uh, I don't know, the PGA of America or the RNA, it's about growing a sport. You know, it, 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 it's, it's, it's about a win there is about getting your, con- you know, getting more content out, getting, getting more people to pick up golf mm-hmm. clubs, et cetera. Sometimes it means money uh, and kind of, Understanding where you fit into that was huge. Uh, so a lot of a lot of my time I was spent really just kind of focusing on that, reading a lot. Um, I knew that um, as I look back, there was a lot of that I had quite a bit of kind of traditional sports experience. 
I knew that, and a lot of the companies I had been talking to, I had, I, I talked to my friends at Google and some of my friends at Facebook and some of these tech companies. I love the culture. I love the very, mm-hmm. I, I was kind of over the, the stuffy culture that can sometimes exist in sports. Um, and, uh, and I realized I don't know a lot about digital. So I just started, my friend said, Hey, why don't you start getting certified through Google certifications? And so I started doing that. Uh, I had had a, so I, you know, got every day I just get on and do a module and learn mm-hmm. a little more kind of realizing it's the same stuff. It's business. It's all pretty similar at the end of the day. It's, I'm going to say something my, my colleague, uh, Mike Kelly and I laugh about, which is, um, it's just about saying the right message at the right per- time to the right person. Mm-hmm. That is it. That is it. That is as simple as it gets. And digital is exactly the same way. Uh, however, there's a lot more intricacies in that digital is extremely elastic. It allows us to bend and inventory is an, unlimited. It's just so different. It has, it's so, so open that sometimes it's overwhelming. Mm-hmm. And so in the sports space specifically, I, I was so used to thinking about like, all right, so if I'm putting a sponsorship, there's uh, IP to it. And then there is this limited amount of ads that we're going to put. And then there's this limited amount of, uh, signs. And there's only so many signs that fit on a golf course. And there's only so many ads that we can put uh, against a broadcast. And so it kind of creates a very easy world to live in. Uh, uh, and so digital really kind of like learning a little more about digital was great. Um, then I, I studied for the, for the GRE cause I had had a thought about going back to grad school at one point. Mm-hmm. I applied to Kellogg school of business Ooh, here. Yeah. All right. And I uh, actually got in a couple weeks ago. So I was very excited about hey, that. Hey, Congratulations, man. Good for Thank you. you. Thank you. Um, now, now to figure out if it's it, it's something worth doing, but mm-hmm. uh, well, it's definitely worth doing if it's something yeah. I can do. Really. Yeah. Well, uh, I'm sure you can do it too. I don't think that's gonna that part's gonna hold yeah. you back. <laughs> but um, yeah, so I, it was really a lot about self reflection. I, I I I say a lot. It's the time that I didn't have a job just paid dividends in such high ways in terms of I don't think I have grown professionally as much as I did in those three months. Mm-hmm. any other time in my career uh professionally and personally i am absolutely a better person and i hate it because when i was in it everybody told me that everybody who and by the way you realize a lot of people go through this mm-hmm. so many so many talented amazing people go through being unemployed for a while um and i hated how everybody was like dude best thing that ever happened to me and here i am saying the same exact thing but it was just the best thing that ever happened to me um and I uh, kind of just opened myself up for opportunities. I love that. And I'm kind of kicking myself. I wish we had this conversation like six weeks ago. So that way people could have heard this because, yeah, it is very unfortunate. So many people are now getting laid off, as you kind of pointed out. And it's uh, it, it stinks. It's just really unfortunate. And I know some people that are taking advantage of the situation and some people with sick family members and everything. Hey, we're all in our own situation. But there is something that you can do. You can always try and get better. It's, it's one thing if you're just kind of sitting on the couch watching movies all day versus what you're doing, right? And, and again, yeah. if you have the capability and again, you're not being held back by a sickness or your family's not sick and you know, all, all the, all that stuff, having that time rarely, rarely ever comes in many people's lives. You know, as you said, there are a lot of talented people that do take some, you know, that are unfortunately laid off or, or, or fired mm-hmm. or, or they do get that time. It's what you do with it though, right? Like what have you right. been doing or what is, what have people been doing for these last six weeks that, you know, someone posed the question to me, um last week i think if i'm not mistaken that it's this is going to be a job interview question this is going to be you know a way to start a conversation so what did you during do during quarantine 
Is it, yeah. you know, after eight to 12 weeks, or is it going to be uh, watch a bunch of movies or are you going to have something tangible to come out of it with? So yeah. it's very interesting. And, and it clearly you took advantage of the situation. It's a crappy situation. Don't get me wrong. I'm sure you would have preferred not to have been laid yeah. off. But as you said, now being able to look back on it, you took advantage of that and you grew as a person. You know, you yeah. gained experience, you gained and looked at things from different angles. And now, you know, as you said, you got your second dream job now where you're, you know, doing, doing the stuff you're doing, which we'll get into at the post game. But I mean, kudos to you for being able to take advantage of that situation. How long did it take for you to really dive into that stuff? Or was there kind of like a little bit of a lag period, like kind of almost woe is me feel bad for yourself, which is deserved. But like, how, how did that kind of shake out? I guess. There's a, well, first I want to kind of just touch on your point about like, what you do is six. I think that I think, yes, you should be productive, but the definition of productivity needs to be really, really well mm -hmm. defined for you. And I think that some of that productivity is just working on yourself. Hey, mental health is a huge issue. Mm -hmm. And, you know, as somebody that kind of struggles with depression, anxiety, as many type A personalities do, um, sometimes productivity is just saying, like, it's okay to feel kind of shitty right now. I don't mm -hmm. know if I'm allowed to curse on the podcast. Yeah, you already did. What are we going to do? <laughs> it's okay to feel bad and just getting through the day to day. Um, to that point, knowing that, knowing where, what I was prone to go through, right? I was, I, this, I had a choice to make as I went into it. Um, I let myself fall into this hole and I know how hard it is to get out of. Or well, I'm very proactive about it. And I decided on the latter. And I was very, very proactive about not letting myself fall in the hole. Not that I didn't mm -hmm. completely fall in the hole. I actually remember I got a job offer at one point that was uh, way below what I thought I was valued at. Uh, and again, that value conversation, it hits you hard. It hits you hard because it, you have to tell yourself, uh, I got, I, I, I'm, I'm mm -hmm. living in an apartment that costs a lot of money. I need to pay this rent. And now I'm being told by the market, whatever that is, that I'm not worth as much as I think I am. Or, you know, and you got this imposter syndrome, especially when you get kind of like a little bit ahead in your career where you're starting to make somewhat of real money. And you're mm -hmm. like, oh, do I deserve this? Who deserves this? Whatever. Uh, and so uh, it'll play some games and, and I went through a really, really, really dark period there. Um, but for the most part, uh, I think, uh, it was, I knew what I needed to do, which is wake up, have those thoughts, have that meditation. Uh, I was working out twice a day. Uh, Good for you. I, oh, your fiance must've loved that. Good for you. Yeah. <laughs> uh, must've, uh, uh, we, uh, and I was leaning on people and, you know, it's, it's incredible how, you find out, you know, they say you find out who your friends are, but in a, in a large way, you find out where your friends put their value on you. And it has nothing to do with how much you make or where you work. The same people asked me for advice when I had a job that was kind of like, that was kind of prestigious where the people call me for advice when I didn't have a job and I was mm -hmm. nobody. Uh, or so I thought, and, and I think that that was, that was super, super helpful to me is that I was, you know, on the phone most days with friends and I, I wasn't always just asking for help. A lot of times I was just talking to them about what they were going through. Mm -hmm. and kind of um navigating the space of not having a job and what that looks like and uh kind of take advantage of it as best i could so so yeah so i i think there's a combination i don't i didn't do a what was me on purpose i knew if i did i want to get out of it but mm -hmm. it, it had ups and downs and i really worked proactively trying to stay out of those downs as much as i could i love that and that's super important you know knowing especially as you said being self-aware is is uh I'll say it being self-aware is kind of a superpower and you knew who you were and you know what you potentially could go through and understanding that if you let yourself fall down into that hole, it's going to be very difficult to get out. So doing everything you can to make sure that you don't even step foot in it, which again, is going to happen. You know, you're going to slip, you're going to fall a little bit, but understanding yeah. 
hey, like I know this is a bad, bad thing that can happen. Let's make sure and do what we can to get out of this. I think that's the most important part. And you were capable of not even letting yourself really get into it, which I think is fantastic. And kudos to you for that, man. That's awesome. Right. Thank you. And it's a huge support group too. And, of course. You know, yeah. my, 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 my fiance being there for my family and friends. And, I'll, you know, something that I think my personality type has a problem with is being vulnerable. And so uh, allowing people to know like, hey, this is, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm used to exuding strength, but this is hard. Mm-hmm. I'm not strong right now. And being okay with not being strong um, allows people to help. It gives people a door in. Uh, and I found a lot of times people are looking for those doors in. Yeah. And we put walls up. So, uh, Kudos to you, man. Yeah. That was, was awesome. Good. And I appreciate that. And that's why I love having these conversations, the honesty, the intimacy, and really getting to know uh, what people go through. Because we don't really know what someone's going through. As you said, you had a very prestigious job making some pretty good money. And then, you know, all of a sudden, kind of everything was, for lack of a better term, taken away or, or you know, mm-hmm. however we want to put it. And now, now you're, you know, the whole time you're just anybody else, right? But at this yeah. point in time, now it, you really feel that way. And it's, you know, seeing, yeah. as you said, I really love the way you put it, you know, seeing where the people around you, how they value you and what they right. see in you to the point where they're calling you when you have that awesome job and they're calling you when you don't have a job. And they're still asking you the same questions that clearly, as you said, you know, that's how they value you as just a really great person, which is pretty important. Um, so then moving on, how, what was it like? When did you like, so as you said, you had some job offers undervalued, you, you potentially were going to go back to school at Kellogg. Great, great mm-hmm. school there. Um, and so like where, how did the, the post game come up? And I mean, were you looking within, as you said, you already were kind of considering outside of sports, where were you kind of, how was, how was the job search going up until, um, the offer from the post game came through? So job search, I had, I applied 169 jobs. I did not have nearly as many uh, interviews. I went out job offer that I turned down. I had, I was in the middle of what I thought was going to be a job offer uh, coming up. Uh, and when that was happening, I was on LinkedIn and I saw a post from Eric Hurd, who's the CEO of the post. And I said, look, I did say something like, I'm looking for, you know, a vibrant salesperson in this workspace. I met Eric two years before that uh, at a at, at a convention, a golf convention called the 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 PGA the, the PGA of America's Merchandise Show. Um, really nice guy, really smart guy, and he and I had actually had very little, not not a lot, but a couple of conversations. Uh, so we posted that. I sent him exactly the words you said. I said, "Hey, Eric, free agent right now. Uh, lots of lo- lots of experience in sports." Uh, lots of experience in business development. Maybe it makes sense. Uh, he call, He wrote me right back and said, uh, let's have a chat. So we had a phone call. Uh, uh, in the conversation, like, like you said, I, I didn't know that I wanted to stay in sports necessarily. Uh, yeah, this isn't popular to say, but something they don't tell you is it's it's really, really, really hard to get into sports. Mm-hmm. I think it may be more hard to leave sports. It's very difficult to leave sports because once you're in sports, people kind of typecast you to being, being a sports person. Um, but I didn't know that I wanted to be typecast as a sports guy for the rest of my life. And, uh, I saw there was a lot of value in all sorts of things. Mm-hmm. Sorry. Lost an AirPod. So, um, so I had a conversation with Eric and, uh, in the conversation, Eric kind of laid out what the post game was and it's a 12 year old company and kind of explained to me how they had been founded on the idea that there is undervalued assets in the marketplace. There's a ton of undervalued assets. Uh, 
and they exist to take to take advantage of those undervalued assets and teach properties how to use, utilize them better, mm -hmm. which is business at its core, right? Mm -hmm. That's true business. It's it's no BS. It's not like we're gonna build charts for you. It's we're gonna do we're gonna we're gonna hit your bottom line, which I had talked to about before. Uh, and so they started uh, um, as the undervalued asset that they saw was uh, non live content. So they they really kind of our founders, which is David Katz and Eric Hurd, kind of look at looked at this at sports space and said, look, it's kind of uninspired. Everything's the same crap. Uh, it's all around live sports, and we think that the most valuable thing about sports actually happens outside the live window. Um, and so uh, so based on that, they first created kind of a social uh, a social site. They were they were a publisher. Mm -hmm. um they created content they sold against it just like any other publisher uh then they worked for yahoo sports and uh, they became the white label uh creator of yahoo sports i don't know how much ryan and and moser kind of talked about this but Give me uh, they, they 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 created so they were the white label content creator for uh lifestyle sports stuff mm -hmm. on yahoo sports so at one point actually the post game was the biggest producer of sports content in the world and we were selling against them we were making tons of money uh uh, so, uh, so we were a publisher. We were truly an, a big, big publisher. We knew how to grow audiences and we knew how to make money from audiences. Um, about five years ago, uh, the post game kind of looked at, looked around and, you know, we saw everybody on their, uh, on their, we look at me. I'm, I'm a very weak guy. I was, no, I'm a weak guy too. You're good. Don't worry. You're perfect. Uh, so looked around and said, uh, this thing's about to change something's about to be drastically different. And, and what was happening was that the destination model where people were fans of platforms was taken to the distribution model. And distribution model, people were fans of content and they were finding it wherever it was, whether it was social media and they were reading it wherever it was. So we knew that the publisher business as we knew it was gonna effectively completely change. Mm -hmm. And the winners in that change were gonna be huge broadcasters or sports properties. Both of which were not built to take advantage of the digital, you know, kind of windfall that was about mm -hmm. to hit them. Um, so we pivoted at that point, and so we kept our studio. We have a, an award-winning studio, uh, and we took our editorial and commercial uh, staff and turned them into consultants. Um, and so the idea being that we would take took organizations that were really, really, really good, so good that they didn't have the need to really think about how much better they could be if they took advantage of digital. Mm -hmm. And if you kind of look at it as a Venn diagram, a lot of companies really good at sports, a lot of companies really good at digital, but for some reason, mm -hmm. the Venn diagram doesn't exist that much. Um, and so, uh, you know, we've been fortunate at this point now, you know, fast forward, you know, it's been about five years since we made that pivot. Now we've worked with most, every major if not every major sports content producer in the united states uh and we have really effectively helped them monetize their digital assets that's both understanding the structure that needs to happen within the organization um which is a, a disconnect that exists between the content creation side of the house and the sales creation side of the house Salespeople mm -hmm. know what they sell i was one of them you know what we talked about yep i have a thought process and when it's good you don't break it um and then the content side of the house, it was all about growing an audience. So we came to the table and we said, look, we get the content side. We did that. We know how to grow audiences, but we, we also get the commercial side of it. 
And so let's create a structure that allows you to do both. That allows you to really serve your stakeholders in a meaningful way um, by increasing the amount of money you the, the, the amount of money you can get out of your, your digital assets through kind of a sophisticated, intelligent way of packaging your sales and mm -hmm. also distributing those, distributing that content. Uh, while at the same time, and maybe most importantly, servicing your fan or your audience. And I think that that mix is the most beautiful thing. So, so um, we've had a lot of a lot of success with that. Uh, working, you know, with NBC Sports, uh, NBC Sports with Fox Sports, uh, with uh, with the NBA, um, the Olympic Committee. I mean, we've we've had a lot of really really cool stuff uh, that we've done. Um, and so, so anyway, we were having all this conversation. He's kind of t t telling me about this. I'm telling him about my my, my background. Um, and we landed on there's an extra realm that we can layer on top of that uh which is the nuance of international mm -hmm. so once you take those two things you put one more all of a sudden our service area in the middle that venn diagram becomes so much more specific and it allows us to really support a broader group of uh mm -hmm. group of folks group of broadcasters and content creators uh and to me it was a really personal thing because the Latinx community in the United States and the you know Latam uh, community and all, everything south of the Rio Grande is is what I perceive to be an underserved market, and it's a market I, I belong to. And here I am with an opportunity to take to take business a business structure and a business procedures that work that we know works. Mm -hmm. Again, you can see the parallels in my PGA tour kind of mind. I love it. And take and take it to mar and take it to a market that needs it. And so all of a sudden, again. When I pick up that phone, it's not about, hey, I want to sell you something. It's, hey, I have something that's going to work. And so let's have these conversations about how you can make your business better and your audience can win because of it. And the viewing experience is so much, so much the richer, so much the better. Um, and so that's been kind of what we've been doing. It was, it took that conversation with Eric. I had two more conversations with, um, with a couple of folks at, at the post game, uh, I got an offer from that other organization that I told you I was talking to. And the next day I got an offer from, uh, the post game and it was Thank the easiest decision I ever made. That's awesome, and, man. Uh, and I know uh, how much you love it too. Cause you've told me multiple times, uh, you've also said it on here as well, but yeah. I just think it, it's, it's so cool how you've been able to, you know, you're able to take everything you learned and those relationships and, and it's not like you lost any of them. Now it's actually, there's a bigger opportunity here. There's, there's more that you can do to help those people that you first started having conversations with what nine, 10 years ago at the PGA tour, maybe not that long ago, five, six years ago at the PGA tour to now saying, Hey, now I have this other opportunity. That's going to make everything that we did before when I was with a different organization. Now we can make it even better. Now we can make it to the next level. You're going to make more, make more money and your audience is going to be happier, which is going to lead to you making more money. And it's right. just like this, it's incredible cycle where if you, you know, you hit it right, you know, it, it just, it's the hamster wheel that keeps on spinning. And as long as everyone's happy, everyone's going to continue to be happy. So I, I think the post game is incredible and, you know, kudos to yeah. you for, for allowing them to, you know, you, you gave them your, what your signature on the offer, I'm sure four years, hundred million, whatever, whatever you're well, well-deserved of course. But, um, you know, kudos to you for that, man. So, yeah, it, so he and, uh, uh, and I, and I think a lot of it is, Good ideas are bountiful, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, anybody can think of what we thought about, what Eric thought about, uh, and David. Uh, but the fact that Eric has the leadership style that he does, the fact that the post game works the way it does, is what makes it work. 
It's incredibly nimble and incredibly deferential to expertise. Um, and that's both within our staff and with our clients. We have, you have to come into this, these conversations with a sense of humility. Like we know what we're really good at, mm -hmm. but these folks work day in and day out on their business. They understand their business better than anybody else could. We really understand how we've worked with a bunch of other businesses that are maybe similar and kind of ca can catch on to certain things. Uh, but again, as we build those relationships, uh, back to the point about friendship, and we understand, okay, let's really, really kind of like put it into dimensions that we can understand what is the business at the end of the day? What is going to be a win for NBC, uh, you know, regional sports network? What's going to be a win for Fox Sports? Um, and, and we can kind of put that and then put our toolbox behind it and then have leadership that allows the experts in the area kind of come in and not be afraid to say exactly what they think. Because, um, you know, you get you get into too, too, too much of a stuffy situation and you're really only getting one thought and you really want to get everybody else thought. That's what you're paying them for. Mm -hmm. um, so, so, yeah, so it's, 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 it's very, very exciting. Um, it's also cool to work in a space that is nimble enough where you can really think about efficiencies. You know, that's kind of we grow uh, kind of like if I do, if I really understand kind of the complexity of, it's not just a win's a win, but this win serves to create this win and kind of think out of a think out from a business perspective, how can we leverage every single thing that we're doing to work towards a broader, you know, horizon mm -hmm. of, of what success means for the post game. But most importantly, the only way we can get to that point from a success for the post game is if we understand what success for the market means. Mm -hmm. Uh, and that means that we're enriching the marketplace to kind of, to kind of be on par or as sophisticated as it should be given how valuable they are. Mm -hmm. I love it, man. It's, yeah. it's, and you've only been there for a few months now and you're very well spoken on the business. So kudos <laughs> you for that, man. I love it. And, you know, li living in Chicago, um, I mean, I know many of the people for the post game are located out in New York city. At least that's my understanding, obviously. Mm -hmm. Mr. Justin Moser, uh, he's out in LA, kudos yeah. to him. And hopefully he's enjoying that sunshine too. But what is it like, I guess, and only a couple more questions. I know we only have a few minutes left with the, the remote aspect of it. How, how easy, how hard was that to, to handle and then throw on top of it? Now the whole world shuts down for like six weeks. Yeah. I, I think that, um, we have four offices. We have New York as our headquarters okay. is where our CEO and, uh, sits. Uh, we have a DC office with Chicago office and then our creatives sit in LA. Um, so the, the, the business has really been built to be this way. Mm -hmm. Again, when you think about the business being built on kind of creating efficiencies and maximizing value, uh, you know, kind of what a lot of companies are figuring out now that, you know, brick and mortar is not necessarily the most effective way to do it. Uh, we've figured out how to communicate. Very, very well. And, and uh, you know, a big shout out to our CMO, uh, Sam Lieber. Uh, he's kind of works behind the scenes, both by creating technologies that allow us to communicate, you know, whether it's partnering with different technology, us communicate in a kind of a seamless fashion, but also creating processes that work, uh, you know, and, and just being smart about how often we're talking to each other, knowing where we're at, kind of creating mm -hmm. the, the, the right structure so that, you know, we're not spending all of our time reporting, but at the same time, we're all kind of aware of what's going on in the business. And that's, that's very, 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 very helpful. So, um, personally it's, for me, it's been great. I mean, I, I, I loved, you know, commuting to the, commuting to the bed from the bedroom to the living room every day. 
uh, that's great. Um, and the connections are so kind of built up to the point where it doesn't feel, I don't feel alone mm -hmm. at all. Plus most of my day is spent on the phone talking to people about, about stuff and trying to get yeah. things on the phone. So I think salespeople are uniquely well positioned to be good in this position because, uh, you take an extrovert like me and you say, you work from home now. I have to get the extrovert out. I'm incentivized mm -hmm. now to talk, to call on as many people as I can, just because I need to talk to people. Um, so, so for that, so for that point at the beginning it was good. And as that transitions into the COVID era, well, we're obviously already built for it. So mm -hmm. for us, it was a little bit of business as usual in terms of our, in terms of our structure. Uh, it was a little bit of looking at how we're talking to folks. Obviously we want to be cognizant of the hardships that the sports world is going through, um, that the publisher world is going through. Uh, but at the same time, we have to be honest with ourselves and we it'd be in detriment not to share the fact that we're uniquely qualified to help right now because mm -hmm. we've been saying for 12 years that the most valuable thing in sports is non-life content and all of a sudden we have three month window when there is no life content mm -hmm. um so i think that our leadership has been very strong in uh positioning us well in front of our clients so that they understand that hey we're here for you and we want to help and we don't we don't want to take advantage of this necessarily you know uh but we want you to know that we can help. And mm -hmm. this is the time where we can really strut our stuff uh, and get you guys to kind of grow. And so, so yeah, so I, I think the key word there, by the way, is education. Like this is a great time to educate your salespeople how to sell different. It's a great time to educate sponsors and brands to understand how to value uh, different things a little bit different. Um, it's a great time to you know educate organizations on how they can structure all of their processes to work more effectively towards their, towards their game. Uh, so hopefully that, that, and I think that that's happening a lot within the space. Yeah. I think, you know, it, again, just the way that you've been able to phrase it and the way you've been able to kind of position yourself, you as in the post game have been able to position yourselves in the market. As you said, that's what the whole company is built on non-live sports. Yeah. And now here we are, as you said, for the first time and however long we're potentially going to have up to 90 days, hopefully not too much longer. I think what June you're, you're a golf guy. What is it? June 8th, June 11th, I think is, uh, yeah, I, I think that they announced an event in May. That's going to be a oh. game between, well, go. I, I think it was Rory McIlroy and oh, okay. DJ and then, uh, Wolf and Fowler. So I think there's a skin match. I, Let's I mean, go. I, 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 yeah, I, I just saw it this morning. I'm going to watch every single second of that. I can <laughs> promise you. Uh, but no, man, it's it's just completely, it's it, how uniquely positioned you are. And I'm sure all your, all the clients that you currently were working with before this happened are extremely, extremely happy that they've been working with you. And all the ones that you are, as you said, educating and getting them to understand how you're capable of helping specifically now, but then in the future, I think, you know, obviously they'll, they'll be able to take advantage of that. And, um, Man, this was awesome. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. The last question I always just like to ask people is, you know, what kind of future goals, future accomplishments you're looking forward to, you know, at, you know, specifically maybe at the post games, again, you kind of come in a couple months later, the whole world gets shut down. You're still able to do your thing, but like, what are some of the things you're looking forward to, I guess, in, in the, in the, you know, the foreseeable future with the post game specifically? Uh, I think there's, I'm, I'm very excited about the ever sophisticating marketplace that is sports in Latin America. Uh, at one point, sports was soccer. It mm. was, you know, uh, and the thing is, there's, there, 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 again, there was little incentive for people to want change because there's a windfall of money. There's, and, and, but we have seen as the marketplace has become more sophisticated across the board, uh, there's space for nuance. 
there's audiences that want more. Uh, and I want to be a big part of that. I want the post game to be a big, big part of, um, of developing an ecosystem that serves the fan in a better way. And by doing so allows properties and broadcasters to increase the amount of revenue that they're getting and diversify the amount of revenue that they're getting. Uh, and I'm super, I am super excited and passionate about it. I think that it's uh, there, you know, we have to believe that there's going that the type of change that we can bring upon our, our industry is significant and that we can be leaders there. Uh, and that if we're not the leaders, we can really support the folks that are. And so we're, uh, uh, we're excited about that. I'm excited about that. I'm excited for you, man. Sebastian Rentis, Director of Business Development at The Post Game. Really appreciate your time today, man. Hey, thank you, Michael. Thank you so much for listening to this show with Sebastian Marentes. As I said, just incredible what he's been able to accomplish up to this point in his career. And I'm so excited to see what else he gets himself into. So please make sure to follow Sebastian on all of his socials. Everything is in the show notes. Please make sure to give us a five-star review on iTunes, on Apple Podcasts. If you're watching on listening, maybe soon watching on Spotify, make sure to check it out there. If you're listening on YouTube, just subscribe, I guess. That's what I'm told to tell everyone to do. But other than that, Thank you all so much for your time. It's the only thing we don't get more of, so I hope you make it a wonderful day. Yes.